Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Mindshare Radio. My name is Kevin Whelan, and as always, it is so good to have you with me today. Today, I want to answer a question from a community member who was wondering, what are some basic best practices for specializing, for ultimately picking a niche? So this comes from uh, Jace Rodley, and I basically wrote an article on November the 9th titled Specialization is Simplification. And my main point was that the more you specialize, the more you simplify your business. So for example, the audience you're looking for hangs out in fewer places, making it easier to be everywhere in their world, kind of omnipresent. The work you do is a lot more repeatable and patterns become more obvious, so it makes the work easier. The services you offer are more specific and tailored to fewer people's needs, thereby making them a better, more precise fit for your ideal clients, thereby making you more or less interchangeable and a little more rare. Uh, the relationships you develop are more valuable, interconnected, and making it easier for to get referrals and do partnerships. Your expertise becomes more relevant to every client you work with, allowing you to achieve better results each time. Uh, your marketing becomes more efficient and focused on a specific type of client, helping you attract more and close those deals. So uh, we always notice things that are most tailored to our specific situation. And, uh, and then we win more deals when we become sort of the obvious choice. And then you position yourself against fewer competition. Uh, competitors rather, making it easier to stand out and demonstrate authority. So really it's instead of reinventing the wheel with every client, you get to find a target market you want to serve and spend all your time learning why they actually want what you need and uh, and need it. And then ultimately it allows you to create a, a better, more uh, attractive business for, for that particular target market. So by going into a smaller door or by positioning yourself in a more narrow niche, it actually opens up the world to a lot more opportunity. And really you don't need massive volumes of people to succeed. So at the end of the day, you know, as a consultant, I need maybe 10 clients, you know, to, to have a very profitable multi six figure business, uh, for other agencies that wouldn't be enough and they would want more clients in which case you can broaden. But the point is you're probably never going to work with more than call it a hundred consulting clients. Now, if you had a business that was more one to many, sure, there may be several thousand, but that's really, you know, in theory that would be scalable and not really, uh, any different for you operationally, but unless that's your goal and it really depends on your goal, it, you know, um, you really don't need typically that many clients to have a very profitable agency consultancy. Um, and obviously as you continue to grow, you can offer one to many offers and the market size does need to support that. But even then there's ways you can charge, you know, a hundred dollars a month. If you're a niche, say if you're a niche, like membership, hundred dollars a month, wouldn't be that hard getting a hundred or a thousand people into that kind of group wouldn't be impossible, in which case you just need to extrapolate and figure out how big the market needs to be. And just before I get into all this content, as you grow, you can move into adjacent markets. You can, you can broaden your positioning. So you don't really have to think in terms of the end results because you can always shift your strategy. It's really about when you get started or when you're building traction, it's a lot easier to, to, kind of really build a very competitive moat and sustainable advantage and traction when you have a clear target market and you, you're the, you're one of only a few people serving, serving them and you're doing so well. So, uh, it can help you kind of position yourself and become less interchangeable, less commoditized, thereby decreasing the downward price pressure and helping you win more deals and attract more clients. So I'll get into it. So Jace had a few good questions and I've been meaning to respond to this for a little while. So Jace, thanks for your patience. Um, originally kind of says, uh, that he's been, you know, he's done campaigns. Jace runs a, a company called dialed labs, SEO, uh, it looks like an SEO kind of company productized service. And, uh, and yeah, so he's done SEO presumably for a lot of different clients and 
He says, I've executed on campaigns that directly benefit from the long term, the long tail and specificity, which is kind of what niching does. Um, also, I'm an entrepreneur and I see opportunity in everything, which I think we can all relate, you know, t- to that fact. And in fact, most of us as marketers can probably apply our skills to literally anybody and get reasonable results, obviously with many, many exceptions, but at least the general principles of marketing and business are, are, are similar uh, when you break it all down. And sure, you, most of us feel that way. We can help a lot of people. So it feels very limiting to to reduce who we help down to a, a smaller number of people when the whole world is our oyster. And yet we need to fight against that urge because in order to be non-interchangeable, in order to be uh, a meaningful company, remarkable to even one person, meaning worthy of remark, um, we need to kind of go a little bit smaller. And that's counterintuitively one of the best ways to grow your your marketing business because you become a true expert, less interchangeable, all those other benefits. So Jace, he asks, so what's the best, you know, I've helped so many different kind of companies uh, and I don't know where to start specializing. So what's the best route for doing so? He asks, is it rapidly growing niches? Is it highly profitable ones? Is it niches I enjoy the most? Uh, is it niches we can be most, get most consistent results with? Uh, is it those with a, a huge total addressable market or is it something else? Um, and then he asks another question and we kind of go down the rabbit hole in mind share a little bit. So um, this thread of conversation is under the November 9th um, uh, daily idea that I posted called specialization and simplification. So let's get into that first part. I think a lot of your questions are really, really good. Um, it, it looks like you you know you're, you know the importance of niching. You can see some of the benefits of it. At the same time, it feels like you, you need to kind of and in fact, one of the things you said in a later uh, section was that you don't want to kind of turn away anybody. You don't want to be uh, position yourself where you're excluding clients based on their industry. So first thing I'll say is that, yeah, the best marketing you can do is exclusionary to a certain kind of person. But also remember that your target isn't your market and people come to me all the time. Like my, my two verticals are the co-working industry and and Mindshare. This is you know, I help, I help marketing consultants run profitable businesses and that, that now includes agencies, freelancers and others. Uh, but I also get people from other types of consulting businesses and non non consulting that are coming to me asking for assistance as well. Um, so even in that niche, a lot more people come and then all kinds of people reach out to me. I've got e-commerce clients. There's, there's clients all over the place, but I only market myself specifically in niches and yet opportunities are abound. There's really no shortage of opportunity and I'm, I'm lucky to be in that situation. But in terms of where you focus your marketing and your energy and your focus, you want to go a little bit more tailored. So how do you pick, let's go back to this question. How do you pick a good niche? So the question, the, the things you're asking are really great. Uh, ideally they should be a rapidly growing niche or at least a growing one, right? I mean, that's, that's a signal that there's a, a wave of demand. There's a good book by Mike McCallowitz called surge. And he basically says like, Hey, if you can get in on a wave as it's rising or, you know, as it's surging, uh, it's really easy to sort of paddle within momentum of, of a market. And, you know, it works the same in many things. Um, you know, Jack Bogle, he, he started a company called Vanguard and he basically created mutual funds that were aligned with the market. And his whole proposition was that frankly, uh, people picking stocks don't really tend to outperform the, the market overall. Uh, in the long run, and he shows all these examples, and you know, there's it's backed by a lot of uh, experience, and basically says that the, the the success of people picking stocks is largely determined by the success of the market overall. So as the market does well, most things by and large do well, or at least the successful ones are related to that. And so you could make the argument that 
if you by picking a good market, first of all, one that's growing and one that is surging, that's in high demand and and uh, evolving quickly, that by catching that wave, you will put yourself in front of more opportunities by nature than if you were in say a an industry that was on the decline, something that's been long established, a mature market like you know legal or I don't know, you can pick pretty much any of them, even though legal is probably always going to be continuing to grow and and evolve. Um, but yeah, you may not want to get into the oil and gas industry right now. It might just be past its prime, if you will. So you do want to have something that is that is rap that is rapidly going at growing ideally. And read that book, Surge by Mike Michalowicz, if you want to kind of get into that mindset a little bit better. It works it, it it does work really well as well. Me being in the co-working niche, for example, I didn't pick it opportunistically, but it's growing significantly year over year, and it, there's plans for it to continue growing for a long, long time. So that was. That was a, a factor in my success with the co-working world as well. There's not a lot of competition for me relative to other industries, for example. So what else did you say? So highly profitable niches. I think, yeah, I think having something that's profitable is important. I think your other point about enjoying the niche, I think that's really important. Uh, you know, you can be a mercenary. You can treat your work as though you're kind of, you're a plumber and, you, you know, you fix pipes and you do plumbing and you're kind of, it's, you don't have to fall in love with your business, but as a consultant, it's really hard to keep showing up over and over again to keep innovating if you don't enjoy the niche that you work for. So the last thing you want to do is kind of go down the road five or 10 years and being ultimately what I call a mercenary where you're paid, you're a paid sword. You're like a, you know, paid Lance, if you will, freelancer paid Lance, um, for an industry you don't really care about because not only will it, you'll kind of burn out a little bit. You won't be able to create your best work. You won't be able to innovate. You won't want to spend all your time consuming information that's going to make you more and more expert at that specific vertical. So I would say that it is highly important if you are going to pick a niche and assuming you can be successful in any niche, assuming it has some of these other traits that we're going to talk about. Uh, I think it's, I think it's really valuable if you can really enjoy the work that you do because that's, and who you serve, because that's going to really serve you for a long, long period of time. It's one of the reasons I'm able to write daily content for, for my, you know, for, for consultants and to keep showing up over and over again, even with a full book of business, I always find time and energy to create content and to keep innovating, keep learning, keep exploring my craft. So I think that's really important as well. Um, you also said, you know, is it the ones that, you know, you can consistently get results for? Yeah. I mean, you should be able to get results consistently for your clients. If you find that they, that they, that you're not able to get great results for them, then you're not going to be, you know, ultimately it's not going to be as profitable for you and for them because at the end of the day, business is all about incentives and you know, as they say in like a, in a, in a free market, you know, the, they'll find the equilibrium. If the value is not there, you're not going to be uh, in business very long. So that is a really important point as well. Um, you talked about a huge total addressable market and this is where I, I don't think that that's necessarily, I think that's where you're maybe, uh, over, uh, uh, emphasizing the importance of a huge market. You know, later you talk about, should you focus on WordPress websites, WordPress websites power about 40 or more percent of the entire web. So that's way too big and it's not specialized at all. And part of it is getting over the fear that by going small, I always say going small is kind of like, is kind of like opening a door to Narnia. Once you go in through a small door, it actually opens up an entire massive world. So even the co-working world, for example, there's about 20,000 co-working spaces worldwide, which is not a huge market. In fact, some people would say that's too small. And yet I had a, you know, I've been able to do extraordinarily well in that vertical and it's continuing to grow and you know, I only need a few clients at the end of the day. And, uh, and there's so little competition relative to, to, to other markets. Uh, even if I do the exact same stuff as say a typical agency or consultant, just by focusing and specializing in the co-working world, 
not only do I position myself as more likely to be the expert, less risky for someone to hire, I actually become less risky and I am a, a more of an expert because I learn all the subtle nuances and variances and the ins and outs and how all the pieces fit in the puzzle. Because ultimately, as I mentioned, business is a game of incentives and there's all kinds of incentives that are surrounding the co-working market, both from the consumer side, from the broker side, from the commercial real estate side. And the, and you know the operator side. So there's all kinds of push and pulls, and you can only really do that by getting entrenched into an industry. You can only find out what all those mechanisms are, and who the players are, and how it all works together. So um, so you want to be thinking small, and you know twenty thousand uh, when my average retainers say three thousand dollars a month is like I only I only need a couple to have a really profitable business, and I do. So so all your points are really good. I think where you want to be, where you want to get your mindset around is is on Focusing smaller, and I somewhere I wrote about specialization. It should be painful to specialize, or, or uh, this is what good specialization feels like. It should be a little bit painful, at least at first. It should be a little bit scary. You should be wondering, is this way too small? Am I crazy for focusing on this market? And it should ideally set those other those other bars as well. Should be should be uh, met in terms of is the niche growing or is it you know is it in a growth mode or, or decline is it profitable that kind of stuff and the thing about profitability is you can more or less be profitable with any with any niche assuming you can build products and services and make it up on volume and you know all the other kind of factors that go into um, ultimately building uh, the math for a highly profitable business. So, you know, if I was working with, um, let's say, uh, I don't know, like artists, right? Who typically, it's not, they're typically not the most wealthy of all niches or, you know, professional, you know, graffiti artists or something. I don't know if I'm picking something. I might be able to make that up in scale by having a $50 membership, $100 membership, or some sort of a lower level service that would allow me to create more scale. But ultimately, you can create products and services for pretty much any budget as long as you have you know enough scale to kind of make up for it. So in terms of profitability, um, that's really important uh, to just to consider is that you can ultimately be profitable no matter, no matter who your niche is. Um, so... Yeah, ultimately, I think your questions are good. I think you do want to focus on people that you can help the most. And I think you do want to focus a lot smaller, knowing that it doesn't take many people to grow a very successful business. And you're not trying to dominate and take over the world. Ideally, you're doing very specific services for very specific kinds of people. And then just remember that the the target is, like I said, the target is not the market. And that's something Blair Ann says. And really believe that. And you know, so even though you may focus in on a smaller area, you're still going to attract people much more broadly all around you. So there's a few other kind of points that I'll make to your, your questions because um, they're all good. And I, and I think in your particular case, your mindset needs to be small equals big. Um, so other things to consider is who, who do you have access to? So who do you know? Who are you connecting with? Who's, who's easiest to connect with or reach? That's going to really heavily impact your ability to, to find, connect with, and ultimately, um, sell to, to that market. So if they look, if you are, have a background in some vertical, call it say real estate, that might be an audience they want to work on. If it's something else, great. Uh, but who do you, who are you most connected to or assuming you're not connected to anyone and everyone's connected to some people. Like for example, you, you'd mentioned before about is white labeling a niche and maybe you have tons of agencies that you work with. And I would say that white labeling isn't a great niche. I think that would be a service that you offer. Um, and, but you can still market to agencies as a white label provider. 
um, and show them how you work and, and really fit into that. Although uh, it kind of commoditizes you a bit and it limits your earning power because you, your prices inherently have to be a bit lower. Um, but in theory, you can make up for it in scale. Uh, but then you, that's a whole different business model that you want to be aware of. So not the best niche to focus on, but that's something you could still use as a vertical to market too. I just wouldn't build my whole business around that. Um, but so, but that would be an example of, well, if you have tons of, of agencies that you have access to, maybe, maybe that's a vertical you go into, um, if you wanted to, you know, build up some traction, but I just, in terms of subcontracting, it's really not the best game to be in. Uh, there's all kinds of things you're not even aware of yet. Like the client has questions and need to talk to you or your team and, and then there's a middleman and then sometimes the client doesn't pay that middleman and then you don't get paid. And there's all kinds of issues that come with, with that. I do think subcontracting in your early days is fine. I just wouldn't build my whole business around that. It was something I thought about myself a long time ago. And frankly, I just wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it overall. So, uh, who do you have access to? And then if, if you don't have access to them, another extension of that is how easy is it to find these people online? So do they have an upwardly searchable, you know, demographic, psychographic, what have you, is there a way to find them easily in, you know, market verticals? Do they go to conferences, events? Do they join communities? Do they, you know, put it in their Twitter bios? Like how easy is it to find your ideal target market online? These are things that are really, really important. Um, the other point I want to mention is who, who do you have credibility with? So you can build credibility around one single client you work with. So sometimes you're fine to be a generalist until you find a client that you really, really love. And then you, you discover that particular vertical that they're in. For me, I loved my coworking client and I said, well, what if I specialized in the coworking world? What would that look like? And then I started talking to people, doing some research and eventually it became clear that that would be a viable potential business. It wasn't super obvious to me at first. It did scare me. I didn't want to be the co-working guy. I was nervous about shutting away business. So I phased into that niche and I still had my agency and then I, my core, you know, B2B agency, web design, digital marketing. And then I phased into the co-working niche and then eventually started getting traction, wrote a lot of content on a separate website, everspaces.com, and then started building up content like crazy. And then and then eventually appeared on podcasts, went to spoke at conferences, uh, did paid seminars, you know, workshops, all that kind of stuff. Consulting, obviously. So a lot of stuff came from from focusing in on that. But I phased into it over time, and I think that's a really important factor. Um, but yeah, I was able to. I had one client. I built a case study around my success with that client, growing them from one to several locations, and the, the financial results and how much we spent and all kinds of things. And, uh, that was able that their credibility from working with them allowed me to leverage that into more relationships and more introductions and more general industry credibility. But it really helped that my client at the time introduced me to folks at the association and to general, you know, other co-working space owners. So, you know, ultimately who do you have access to? Because in the early stages of getting into a niche, that's going to really help if you have access to people that will introduce you to others, or at least give you a foot in the door. And that's really important as well. But you can, my point is you can build credibility even with one core anchor tenant. But if you have no credibility in that space, if you suddenly say you want to do karate schools tomorrow and like you've never even like joined a karate, you don't even know the first thing about karate, let alone have worked with a karate company, it's going to be a lot harder to kind of prove credibility. People are looking for signals that, that you're low risk because you're high, high specialization or high competence. 
Um, other factors are like how competitive is the market? So if you go to SEO for WordPress companies, you've now competed with the entire world of SEOs, right? Like pretty much everybody, like hundreds of millions of agencies. So no competition is maybe not a great sign. Although like with Everspace with my consulting, there's no pure advisor that specializes in marketing for co-working spaces. There are general consulting firms who do marketing as part of, you know, and operations as part of a whole, but no one who does just what I do. And it kind of positions me as like I am uh, I go to expert in that industry. And uh, so some competition is good. There's signs that people can afford to spend money on consulting services. Uh, too much might not be good and too little may not be good either. Uh, but that being said, it's, it's really subjective or at least uh, contextual to the situation. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned about who can you make the biggest impact for that kind of thing. Uh, price sensitivity is a factor. If the market is razor thin, they may not be willing to invest in SEO. Uh, or if they don't have a high need or high value for SEO, then it doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> for example, people aren't really just searching for like all kinds of industries on Google. So it doesn't really matter other than the basics of good website structure, how well optimized they are. Like no one's, no one's finding Berkshire Hathaway on Google looking for an investment firm, right? Like it just doesn't work kind of that way. So, uh, making sure that the industry actually values the type of work that you do. And, and there's proof, there's demonstrable proof that they're paying for the type of thing that you're offering. That's a really big factor as well. Last thing you want to do, <clears throat> excuse me, is try to sell something that the industry just has no interest in. And there's no proof of anyone even asking questions on that conferences aren't doing talks on it. There's no podcast episodes on it. There's no books that talk about it. Uh, so I think, you know, whether they value that is really important as well. Um, <clears throat> you also asked a question, which is a broader topic. And I know this podcast is starting to get long, but I'll, I'll try to go into it while my voice lasts. So I said, can we quote specialize in multiple niches and still get benefit? To me, the answer is, is nuanced. Um, but practically speaking, yes, you can. In fact, I specialize in two verticals, the marketing consultant vertical, as well as the co-working space vertical. And I'm a generalist at the same time. I have Kevin.me positioned on my consulting side to help anyone who comes along. So my, my advice, if you're going to do it is one, potentially keep two separate websites, a generalist website and a specialist website. That's exactly what I did. So the generalist is there to capture opportunities that come to you, but really you want to spend most of your time focused on marketing in the niche, marketing in the, um, in the vertical that you're focusing on and just sort of receive opportunities that come to you through your network and your your contacts and show them the door of the generalist website. Meanwhile, most, if not all of your energy is focused on building up the niche, uh, the niche marketing, uh, the niche business. And that'll allow you to kind of have the best of, Hey, I'm not turning anyone away. Oh, if you're a generalist, like, great. Look over here. This is my general SEO website. Basically the same services, just not tailored for X vertical. And then ideally you want to build one, niche at a time, uh, in addition to having a general kind of backup or some other means of, you know, earning income for me, it was, I had a more general agency a B2B marketing agency. And that kind of, I was, I had enough money to float by while I built up, I just kind of stopped marketing that thing and built up, um, my Everspaces thing. And now I don't need to do as much marketing for Everspaces, which allowed me to focus in on Mindshare and, and my, my private brand consulting for, for marketing consultants. So that allowed me to kind of, uh, take the, take the gas, the, you know, take my foot off the gas a little bit on the Everspaces because I have so much momentum and built up expertise uh, that I don't need to focus on it with all my energy anymore. So that's an important factor to consider as well.
And so, yeah, um, ideally have a general website and then a niche website. Don't try to go after five websites, five niches at a time. It's really hard to succeed at one. And frankly, people are smart enough to catch on that you're not really a specialist. The true benefits of specialization is specialization is actually being a truly one of a kind specialist in your field. And um, <clears throat> you do that by really just, you know, focusing, <laughs> focusing. And so it's really hard to succeed in one vertical. It still takes years to build momentum, build inroads into a vertical. So doing two or three or four at the same time is just not going to work. So try to consolidate your energy and your effort and focus in on companies that you work with, that you do a good job for and that you have access to and that you enjoy and that's growing and is profitable and the values, the work that you do <clears throat> and, uh, and you'll be, you'll be okay. So my voice is getting a little long here. It's been on the call on calls a lot today, but I'm going to keep pushing forward because you had some follow-up questions and I want to try to get to as many of them as I can. And by the way, uh, Mindshare Pro offers this kind of coaching and advice. So if you need help with ongoing kind of long questions like this, that's what that's for. There's a bunch of resources in there as well and uh, happy to help. Uh, always happy to help as much as I can for free as well as the community at large. You can post questions to everyone and you get interesting feedback from different perspectives and not just mine. And that's obviously included in the Mindshare Pro in the Mindshare uh, community. Um, <clears throat> but for those listening, this is the kind of depth that I would go into. We also do live calls on Mindshare Pro as well, which makes it uh, just easier to kind of get back and forth and kind of get answers, uh, quickly answered every other week on our live calls, which are then recorded and shared as an audio file. You can listen to it later if you can't attend. So, um, your last questions were around is WordPress a niche and is white label or reseller a niche? And we talked about white labeling and reselling. I just don't think it's too, too much of a commodity business. I wouldn't recommend, uh, hanging your hat on that. Although you can still sell, as I said, white label services to two agencies and, and even have like a separate page. One thing I will say that goes back to specializing in multiple niches, there is a third way to do it. So the first way is just to just do one niche. The second way is keep a general website, keep that taking along for opportunities that can be way, but market on a separate website for a niche. The third way is to have a general website with audience pages, basically different industries that you go to. So companies like, I don't know, I'm going to guess Deloitte or big law firms or, um, you know, Bain and company, they'll have a bunch of industry verticals, but they're massive. By, by then they've built up such a reputation that they don't need to be niche and specialized. So you can't really compare yourself to them unless you want to compete with them, in which case you'd get blown out of the water. So you can, you can in theory say, yeah, like I'm a B2B you know, fractional SEMO or uh, I do, uh, you know, I uh, do search engine optimization for consumer packaged good companies. And then basically, basically you can be kind of broad, but then have what are called audience pages that, that niche down and focus in on, here's how I apply our work to this vertical, to this vertical, to this vertical. So at least there is some sort of relevance. So if someone said I'm a B2B fractional CMO and I focus in on, you know, real estate, uh, financial services and, and legal, um, at least then they go, okay, I can see that you're, I can see that you would be able to help us and you have a page that's very tailored to us. Great. That at least makes you feel more credible. And, you know, in a world where people don't care that, that much, uh, or they can't find another alternate alternative option, you look like the best fit, the most specialized fit for them. So that's something you can do as well. That's sort of your third option. Um, it's less ideal, but it, it can certainly work as well. It just, it kind of waters every one of those verticals you have waters down your credibility in that vertical. Although it may not matter, you know, sometimes having a box to check a line on your resume, a page in this case, an audience page on your website is enough to establish enough credibility that your target market isn't 
they're, you're already beating the general competition, but they don't care enough to go searching further for a more specialized version. It's really about in the world of available options that they have in front of them that they're willing to find, how, how aligned do you fit and, and how much do you reduce risks? You don't have to be the most specialized in the world, but you do have to be the most specialized in their world, or at least reasonably so, the most likely to be able to succeed for them in achieving a business result. So WordPress, as I said, massive industry, um, too big, too big, too broad. Like there's no real pains. What I did say, and then white label and reseller, I don't recommend it for the reasons I mentioned. I did say something like you could combine a vertical and a horizontal specialization. So SEO is a, is a horizontal specialization for say Shopify. And that's, that's, uh, that's technically, I guess a, a deeper horizontal, that's a sub specialization. So SEO is the top horizontal specialization, meaning what you do. And then Shopify is a platform and that's a platform specialization, which is a horizontal one. But then combining that with for e-commerce companies, which is but inherently what Shopify does, and then you have that dual axis of a subspecialization horizontally and a subspecialization vertically, and then you have this intersection that makes you really rare and unique as well. So that's a really strong positioning. And then later you could even move into adjacent markets where you're like, we help e-commerce with their SEO, and uh, we can uh, focus on Magento and Shopify and all these other platforms. So really what you're trying to do is find the level of specificity. I usually say when you're niching, don't go one layer deep, go at least two or three layers deep. And that's when you start to find the magic. It should hurt a little bit. It should feel like you're excluding people. And uh, that's a, a good sign that things are sort of working. And um, and then you should still have access to them. They should still, you should still be able to help them. You should still have some credibility in play and uh, all those other factors. So you should ideally enjoy working with them. Although that's, not necessary. It just certainly helps if you want to be world-class. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, I mentioned more in that, in that thread. So you can go and read that. That's under the, all this conversation is under the, uh, specialization and simplification on November 9th. So that's in the group. I'll link to it in the show notes, but yeah, if you've got any questions, uh, following up on this, you or anyone else listening, uh, drop them in the comments below in this episode. Always happy to go deep on this. This is a topic I want to do a lot more training on. It's a it's an important thing. I will say that if you're going to specialize, just expect it to take multiple years anyway. So keep a revenue stream going long enough to allow you to build inroads into a new business. So I typically recommend overlapping one thing into the next, not jumping in with two feet. Um, niching is the path to a very sustainable, profitable, uh, long-term business, but it's not a fast path. Nothing is fast. It's just not the way business works. If it was fast and easy, then the market wouldn't be efficient. Now you can still tap into things that'll propel you faster. There are strategic moves that will help you. And sometimes you get lucky and things just really come together overnight, but I wouldn't expect it. Um, so your marketing will become more efficient, meaning you can be more attractive to a more specific audience when you focus and specialize. Uh, your work will get better. Uh, as a result, word of mouth factors kick in really well as well. Uh, you become a sought after expert and you, you get access to other audiences by having demonstrable specialized expertise, like getting doing to do webinars and podcasts and, and conference talks, that kind of thing. But all that takes time. So hope this helps, um, <laughs> a lot to unpack and, uh, maybe I'll write this all up one time, but, uh, or do a training on it more specifically, but yeah, uh, let me know if you've gotten more questions and, uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for the questions. Bye.